0: Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Mark Hulse, Chief Digital Officer at City of Hope. In part one, we talk about the spirit of innovation that drew him to the organization three years ago, how his team hopes to transform care through the oncology learning platform, and the important distinction that needs to be made when it comes to using predictive models at the point of care. We'll get to our interview in a moment, but first, a brief word from our sponsor. At CrowdStrike, we stop breaches, and it all starts with a tiny endpoint software sensor that works with Windows, Linux, Mac, and mobile, deploying fast with no reboots and no blue screens. We protect nearly 200 healthcare organizations with more joining us every day. Find out more about the power of the crowd at crowdstrike.com/healthcare. So I think the best thing to do is kind of lay the groundwork a bit by just giving a brief overview of City of Hope. I know a lot of people are familiar with the organization, but like a pretty high-level view of the organization from your perspective.
1: Yeah, sure. No, happy to. So City of Hope is a NCI, National Cancer Institute-designated comprehensive cancer center. There's about 50 of these comprehensive centers nationally. Our main campus is located in Los Angeles County, just north of, of downtown Los Angeles. But over the years, we've expanded to over 35 sites now throughout Southern California, and we're actually building a new cancer center down in Orange County, and that'll be opening up next year. And then a hospital down in Orange County will be following the cancer center opening as well. So uh, we've definitely been in expansion mode. Clinically, we're a national leader in blood cancers in particular, including bone marrow and stem cell transplants, also leading in emerging treatments such as CAR T-cell therapy, which is a type of immunotherapy that has showing a tremendous amount of promise for some particularly difficult to treat cancers. As a major research institute, we typically have well over 500 active clinical trials at any given time. And we also have three, what are called GMP, good manufacturing plant facilities, which allow us to manufacture our own drugs uh, and immunotherapy agents. So if one of our researchers has a study involving an early emerging drug that has been discovered at City of Hope, we actually have the capability to manufacture that. Oh wow. be, Yeah, to the top pharmaceutical sort of specifications and then activate our own early-stage trials with those drugs. And we've actually contributed to a number of of major agents that have then been licensed out to the major pharma companies. So, Okay. Yeah, so it's kind of a a thumbnail sketch. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Okay, yeah. I I mean, I'm sure that that was part of the appeal to you in coming to the organization, just being part of such cutting-edge initiatives.
1: Yeah, I I think having had the experience previously at the Moffitt Cancer Center, obviously I was familiar with that piece. I I think what particularly struck me about coming to City of Hope was just the level of innovation, I think, that was really present throughout. I think every cancer center, and, and I'm sure probably pediatric centers, other specialty centers... All have this culture of really dedication to focusing on the patients and taking care of it. You always feel like you're very much in the fight, if you will, with the patient. But I think what sets City of Hope apart is just this drive. We talk about bringing tomorrow's discoveries to the patients who need them today. So it's this really rapid focus, uh, again, around discovery, but then bringing those discoveries to to the patients. And when I spoke with Robert Stone, our CEO, as I was considering the role, you know, one of the things Robert said to me is, you know, we're a comprehensive cancer center. We're always going to be doing best in class clinical care and research. But he said increasingly the data and the analytics are going to be such an important part of what we do and, and what we offer. So really thinking of us kind of more and more as a Data analytics company, in addition to a clinical and research institute. So, obviously, as coming as chief digital officer, that was uh, inspiring to me, and is something that has really helped. I think lay the a vision that's helped lay the groundwork for a lot of uh, what we've been focused on over the past three plus years at this point.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now, can you talk about some of those initiatives? You know, just in terms of the data and analytics and what you're doing in your role um, to drive that forward?
1: Yeah. So, you, you know, Kate, when you think about this idea of how do we take this idea of these discoveries and bring them very quickly, it had sort of thought a lot about this idea of, and I think it originally came many years ago from the Institute of Medicine about a healthcare learning platform. Mm-hmm. It was uh, a concept that Came out around the early days of healthcare organizations adopting electronic medical records. And the idea that, well, if you're actually capturing all this data on patients, primarily EMRs are still a method of really just an electronic chart, right? So capturing kind of yeah. what's going on with the patient, et cetera. But this idea also that if you look at this data in aggregate and are looking at specific patient populations, et cetera, there's a lot that could inform us about whether it's the quality of the care or other types of patterns and so forth kind of in that data. And then a number of years later, as we've advanced in data science and in machine learning and artificial intelligence, we now have the capability to really surface patterns within the data that aren't gonna be readily obvious, even with you know more traditional kind of analytical techniques yeah. So this has really opened up sort of a whole piece. So we've come up with the concept at City of Hope of what we call the oncology learning platform. And there's a number of different components to it, but it's primarily focused on capturing this real-world data out of our EMR and other systems and being able to link that data. And then through, we've we've established a department of applied artificial intelligence and data science. And this team, along with our researchers and folks in research informatics and other areas get together and begin to, as I mentioned, to sort of analyze the patterns in this data, but also to develop predictive models so that we can stay a little bit ahead of what's actually going to be happening with patients. And so we move kind of from real world data to real world evidence, sort of looking at really what's the evidence within this data. And then finally, it's it's really sort of has three major components to it. So real-world data, real-world evidence. And the last one, and perhaps most critical, is real-world action. So discovering this evidence, if you will, kind of within the data, doesn't make a whole lot of difference unless you can really influence decision-making at point of care, really where it's going to be most impactful. Yeah. So part of the platform is also once we have a well-validated predictive model is running that against the data in real time and then surfacing clinical decision support to our clinicians. So one of the early ones we did, even we treat a lot of blood cancer patients and particularly patients who are undergoing bone marrow transplant, these patients are very immunosuppressed, very suspect very vulnerable, I should say, to infection and particularly to massive infections like sepsis. So we developed a predictive model that can detect moderate or high risk of sepsis in these bone marrow transplants. And we run it, we extract data out of EPIC, our EMR in real time, and that engine is running kind of on this data. And if a patient is at moderate or high risk, that gets surfaced back into EPIC as an alert to the clinicians. We've developed a number of these models now. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of centers, a number of centers have developed predictive models on sepsis and even Epic in their, some of their new components that are doing this type of predictive modeling have a sepsis model. But the problem with them is that you can't just take a model that's been developed on one set of patients and apply that to a very different situation. So again, if you're looking at bone marrow transplant patients, that's going to be a very different predictive model than it would be in the more general population. So that's that's a piece where we've put a lot of focus on. Within what we call the digital vertical, which is the group of departments and so forth that I lead, the oncology learning platform has really been a signature initiative for us. And while we're rolling it out in many clinical areas and now working in some operational and even with our finance and patient access groups, The main piece has been sort of that focus in really in supporting now our precision medicine efforts. So we've incorporated genomic data. We do offer genomic testing to all our patients, and we can incorporate that data into their clinical data. And again, starting to look at running some predictive models around those pieces. There's a small set of very well-known genomic mutations that patients have that have been well-studied in lung cancer and breast cancer. And If you have one of those mutations, for example, you might not be put on the frontline therapy because you're gonna be resistant to that because of your particular mutation. But for every mutation that has been well-studied and well-known and is actionable by clinicians, there are many, many, many other genomic mutations that we just don't understand today. So we believe by over time, kind of accumulating a lot of this data and being able to run these advanced analytics on this, we'll be able to discover more patterns that will help kind of drive further research in that area.
0: Right. It's really exciting to think about this and being able to provide things like decision support and alerts at the point of care. But as you alluded to, I guess one of the challenges is that you can't just take a model from one set of patients and apply it to others. So how can you kind of uh, you know move past that or how is that being addressed?
1: Yeah. So that's a lot of the work that our applied AI team is doing. So if a bottle, for example, has been developed in a, in a different population or at a different center, we can certainly look at that model and then run it in test mode against our patients and through the statistical techniques that they use, be able to determine whether or not that model is a proper fit for our, for our patients, whether or not it's predictive. And if not, then it becomes a question of, well, is it a matter of, do we get closer by tuning and tweaking some of the variables or, or refer to as features within data science, or is it we're better off just sort of starting kind of with our own model on that piece? So some, some of the other ones we've looked at, for example, that can be applied to a more general population of our patients, at least, is looking at patients who are at risk for you know, readmission within mm-hmm. a specific time frame, And that's one that we're starting to take a look at. Looking at prognostic models for patients who have very severe disease and maybe end stage, and none of the models we do are looking at saying, well, based on this, this is how you should treat the patient. All it does is really sort of offer some additional kind of insight so that yeah. clinicians can then use their knowledge and expertise, obviously, to, to make decisions. So the prognostic model, for example, may say it's time to sort of talk to the patient about some end-of-life, or if the patient has advanced directives already established, that you should be having that conversation with the patient. Because oftentimes we're so focused on doing absolutely everything we can. Sometimes we ignore the fact that patients are, you know, they're at a point in their life. It's like, I need to to think about what the quality of my life is going to be versus just moving on to the next treatment. So I I only say that because it's one of those areas where I think these types of things can help open up and foster discussions between clinician and patients versus just looking at sort of pure clinical aspects of it. And then, you know, as I mentioned, we're starting to look at patterns now in our patient satisfaction data We use, like many organizations, some of the more typical, you know, HCAPs and other types of models where we're sort of looking at provides guidance. But sometimes it's not always obvious why a certain set of patients are going to have or did have a potentially less than ideal or even bad experience. So how can we better kind of predict those and then in real time provide guidance to the people who could make a big difference? in the outcome of that patient experience. So those are some of the other areas we're looking at as well.
0: Right, okay. And you mentioned before about um, the new cancer center and new hospital. So uh, I'm sure that there's, there's a lot of focus there. Um, for those hospitals, what, what is your focus on, I'm sorry, for the cancer center and the hospital?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And we're also, we have a lot of construction that's happening on our main campus in Duarte as well, including a 170 bed hotel that will be opening up in January. And part of the focus there and also with Orange County is, you know, again, we have patients who for a whole variety of reasons, either the illness itself or the measures we're taking to help sort of treat that disease. Patients may or may not necessarily need to actually be in the hospital at that point But they do need to still have some level of of monitoring. And so in both cases, both for the hotel as well as for our new Orange County facility, we're expanding to look at what we could do with in-home monitoring devices. There's a couple of companies that we're actually working with very closely right now to pilot some of that. So the hotel would be eventually completely outfitted with this remote monitoring. And then in Orange County, it would literally be for the patients in their homes as well. And then like like many other organizations with the advance of, you know, as wearable devices are becoming more and more sophisticated and measuring all kinds of biometric measures, how can we incorporate some of that data as well, real time? But that's a little bit earlier on for us. But Mm -hmm. those are some of the things we're looking at.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com podcast.